I'm, uh, I'm going to be pretty honest with you guys this morning. Um, this passage is one of the reasons I wanted to do Samuel in the first place. It's brilliant, and I love it. And every time I set out to preach a passage that I love, I walk away disappointed <laughs> with my own words. Um, you might remember that when we did First Samuel a couple years ago, and it was the David and Goliath story, I actually invited Wes to preach that story, because Wes is my favorite preacher, and I did not trust myself to do it justice. So, I'm about to embark on what I think is a brilliant and exciting journey into one of the coolest stories in the Bible. And what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to try and give you all the tools you need to see all the beautiful things in this passage. And then, when inevitably we walk away wishing we could see more, I want you to go home, grab your Bible, and dive in. Deal? That way I don't have to feel bad about not doing this passage justice. Amen? Okay. Pray with me. Father, only you, in your tremendous mercy and grace that you pour out on your people, can open our eyes and soften our hearts so that we can actually see all the beautiful things in your word. Fill us with your spirit. Open our eyes. May, may we behold the majesty of the coming king in as much glory as we can handle. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So I am going to uh, start us not in, um, I'm not going to start us in 2 Samuel 16. I want you to start in Luke 24. So everybody that has a Bible, turn to Luke 24. Now, just to give you some context, this is right after Jesus was raised from the dead. So... Jesus has left the tomb empty, and the faithful women who were serving Jesus and his funeral process um, and his burial process, these women come to a tomb and it's empty, and they start to panic. And then two angels show up and say, Why are you panicking? Jesus is alive. So they run back to the apostles, and no kidding, the apostles don't believe them at all. Um, uh, and so. Peter has just run back and seen the temple, or not the temple, but, the, but the, the, the tomb empty, and that's where we pick up, okay? So we're going to start in um, verse 13 of chapter 24. Um, sorry. Everybody there? Hold up your Bible when you're there. Good. Okay. On that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? 
And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? Which is awesome, I think. And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he, had, he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay, so I want you to think about this for a moment. As soon as Jesus had declared victory over the grave, he immediately goes to believers and begins to explain the scriptures, which I think is incredible and is most certainly a statement of priority. Does it make sense? Now, Jesus is explicitly confessing that all of the scriptures teach us about Christ's death and resurrection. And not only that, but if you, if you could catch his words, he said, Jesus says that a failure to see his death and his resurrection in the scriptures is due to foolishness and faithlessness. Listen to his words. He says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You see, the scriptures cast a shadow of the work of Jesus. And one of the ways that we follow the victorious Jesus is by searching for that shadow in every passage of the scriptures. And I think we can draw from Jesus' words that anything short of searching for his shadow in the scriptures is faithlessness. Does that make sense? But that is easier said than done. Because the shadow of Christ's work is visible on a number of different levels. And sometimes it's, it's visible on several levels at the same time in the same story. Okay, here's what I mean. We've got in the Exodus, we've got the Passover, right? The very last plague in Egypt, God was sending the angel of death to, to kill the firstborn among all of Egypt. And as a means of keeping the people of Israel safe, he said, take a lamb without blemish, right? And slaughter that lamb and take, paint the threshold of your door with that lamb's blood and you will be safe from the angel of death. Now we have like several different layers of foreshadowing of Christ's story, right? We have Christ who is himself the Passover lamb. And when we stand here at the table later, we will rehearse this vision of Christ as the Passover lamb who is, whose, whose body was broken and whose blood was poured out on behalf of the people to save them from the wrath of God, right? 
But even beyond that, the whole story of the Passover, God's wrath against sin, the protection of the innocent, uh, the protection of the, the, the sinner by the blood of the innocent, that is a gospel story. And then if you even step further back, you have the whole exodus which is God's people being rescued from slavery by the blood of the Lamb, being escorted from slavery through the wilderness into the promised land. All of these things are shadows of what's to come. And they stack on one another, layer upon layer. Does that make sense? So sometimes the trick of reading the Old Testament is to, uh, is to zoom in and to zoom out to try and identify where Christ might be foreshadowed in this story. And that's what we're going to try and do this morning. Does it make sense? So turn to 2 Samuel 15. For those of you who are on the realm, I hope you saw my note. We are not going to be able to read word for word four chapters this morning or else that's all we do. So um, if you haven't read this story already, I recommend that sometime early this week you read it again. Um, But what I'm going to do is I'm going to broadly at a high altitude review the structure of this story. And I'm going to try and prove to you that the structure of this story explicitly foreshadows Christ's work. Okay? So hold up your Bible when you're there. Now just a reminder, this is right in the midst of David's consequences. David's kingdom is crumbling because of David's sin. And the whole second half of 2 Samuel is is watching slowly, in in slow motion, almost painful way, watching the kingdom of David crumble, watching his house spiral out of control. But right here in the midst of that, uh, I think I lost a couple slides, right here in the midst of all of this, this, this devastating reality of David's kingdom crumbling, we see um, the clearest, what I think is in Samuel, the clearest and most explicit shadow of Jesus' death and resurrection. So, I'm going to read excerpts, and I want you to just trace in your mind the shape of this story. Got it? All right. So, the true king of Israel, David... <coughs> I'm sorry. The true king of Israel steps down from his throne. Okay. The conspiracy grew strong. And the people with Absalom, David's son, kept increasing. And a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all of his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee. Or else there will be no escape from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring us down, bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So if you remember, and uh, if you have time, go on our website, read, watch or listen to last week's sermon. But if you remember, Absalom is one of David's sons. And as a consequence of David's sin, Absalom spirals into this rebellion. Right? At first, in vengeance, he kills uh, David's firstborn. Uh, And then, from that murderous moment, he begins a conspiracy that, over the course of four years, captures the heart of the people of Israel. And and then, at at the perfect moment, politically, Absalom says, David, I've got to fulfill a vow. I've got to go to Hebron. 
And I got to fulfill a vow. So if you won't mind, I'm going to jet for a few days. I'm going to take some of my closest friends with me. And, and, and then I'll just come back. And David says, peace be with you. Right? There's no problem. Well, Absalom takes all of David's closest advisors. Right? And he, and he on his way to Hebron, he commissions revolutionaries or rebellious, rebellious members of the people of Israel. And, and he commissions them, when you hear the horn, shout to everyone in Israel, Absalom is the true king. Right? And, and so on a single day, on a single moment... All of David's closest advisors are with him in Hebron. He's crowned king of Israel. And all of a sudden, everybody in Israel believes that David's been dethroned. And that Absalom is now the true king. And this news comes to David in this moment. And David says, we got to get out of here. So David willingly steps down from the throne and leads his closest friends and family out of Jerusalem. Okay? So, at this point... David is, 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 uh, is captured in this really moving moment. He and his peers are ascending the Mount of Olives, weeping. Let me, let me read it to you. David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all of the people who were with him covered their heads. And they went up too, weeping as they went. So you've got this picture of, a, of the true king of Israel who's been unseated by a pretender king. The true king of Israel steps down from the throne and he ascends the Mount of Olives weeping. Is this starting to sound familiar? Okay, let's keep going. At this moment, David is betrayed by a close ally. Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David, in the moment of his weakness, in the moment of this, when all of these efforts of conspiracy culminate in, in, his, in his weakest, darkest moment, a traitor leaves his presence and joins the conspiracy, okay? Now, what you need to know here is that Ahithophel is the grandfather of Bathsheba. So don't think, oh, David, boy, you did nothing to deserve this, right? What's interesting about this moment is David's sin has been creating enmity among his own offspring. And you see the consequences of David's sin spiraling further and further and further into his circles. And you see that this, this man who watched his king, who he had faithfully counseled for years, take his granddaughter into his chambers and murder her husband. This feels like poetic justice. And we're going to talk about that later. So in the midst of, he's, ascent, uh, he's ascended the, the Mount of Olives weeping. He's, he's been betrayed by a, close, by a close ally. And on the way, he's mocked by the people of Israel. Listen to this. When King David came to Baharim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came out, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David 
and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out! Get out, you man of blood, you worthless man! The true king of Israel, mocked by his people. Let's keep going. So David continues to pace further and further Jerusalem until the moment where he crosses over from the promised land into the wilderness, into the realm of death. They said to David, Arise and go quickly over the water, for thus and so has Ahithophel canceled against you. Then David arose and all the people who were with him, and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, not one was left who who had not crossed the Jordan. So the true king of Israel had willingly stepped down and he had ascended the Mount of Olives weeping and he was being mocked by the people of Israel while being betrayed by a close friend. And at, at his darkest hour, he receives word that armies are coming after him and he has to cross out of the promised land. Okay? The traitor hangs himself on his own land. Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed by Absalom. And when he did, he saddled his donkey and he went off to his home, to his own city. And he set his house in order and he hanged himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. So the very traitor who stepped away from the close circle of of the true king of Israel, counseled the the pretender king to, to, to act in a certain way. And when the king says, no, I'm going to do something different, he despairs. And what does he do? He hangs himself on his own land. Does that sound familiar? All right, let's keep going. The true king wins victories over his enemies. So Absalom had sent all of his armies, all of the armies of Israel to capture David in the wilderness. And this is where we pick up the story. The army of David went out in the field against the army of Israel. And the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David. And the loss there was great on that day. 20,000 men. The battle spread over the face of all the country. And the forest devoured more people on that day than the sword. Now, wow. We're going to come back to that. But... When the, four, when, when the armies of Israel rush over the Jordan to attack the true king of Israel in the wilderness, they are summarily defeated by David's armies. And David quickly declares victory over his enemies. Okay? Keep going. After three days, David crosses back over into the promised land Victorious. Let me read this to you. So the king came back to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over to Jordan. There's this scene of all of the tribes of Israel competing to be the first one to bring David back into Jerusalem. The victorious king, who has declared victory over his enemies, crosses back over from the the realm of the wilderness into the realm of the promised land after three days, and all of the people of Israel rally to receive him. Okay? 
Keep going. Sinners confess and repent. Let me read this to you. And Shimei, the son of Gera, this is the one who was cursing David as he paced towards the wilderness, right? Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan and said to the king, Let not my Lord hold me guilty. Or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart. For your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come and to meet my Lord, the King. We'll talk more about that later when I've gathered myself. (laughs) The true King forgives. Abishai, the son of Zerah, answered, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? Listen to David's words. David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel on this day? For do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? And then the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And I didn't include this, but he swore it with an oath. Amen. So when you identify shadows in the Old Testament, you've got two pretty significant criteria to look for. One's called correspondence. Don't ignore that it's a big word. It just means this thing's like this thing. But it can't, you can say this thing's like this thing, and it's not a foreshadow. Because you also need to have escalation. That's also a big word. But all, all it really means is this thing is greater than this thing. Does it make sense? I'm going I'm to demonstrate to you the correspondence and the escalation in this passage. Correspondence. David and Jesus both stepped down from the throne. Escalation. David stepped down unwillingly, bearing the consequences of his own sin. But Jesus stepped down willingly to bear the consequences of our sin. Amen? Correspondence. David and Jesus both ascend the Mount of Olives weeping. Escalation. David weeps because his own sins are a crushing burden. But Christ weeps because the sins of the world are a crushing burden. Amen? Correspondence. David and Jesus are both betrayed by a close ally. David's sin created traitors, but Jesus' sinless sacrifice reconciles traitors. Amen? You guys just feel free to throw an amen out there whenever you want. (laughs) Correspondence. David and Jesus both declare victory over their enemies. Escalation. David's work is just beginning. We're going to read later. David's kingdom doesn't stop crumbling at this moment. It keeps going. But Jesus' work is finished. David declares victory over one enemy. Jesus declares victories over all enemies. 
Even death, amen. Correspondence. David and Jesus both cross over into life after three days. Escalation. David crossed over into the promised land, still destined to die. Jesus crossed over into life, defeating death forever. Correspondence. Both David and Jesus grant forgiveness to repentant sinners. Escalation. David's forgiveness grants citizenship in a crumbling kingdom. Jesus' forgiveness grants citizenship in a forever kingdom. See, the shape of David's victory follows the shape of Christ's victory. It's a distant shadow of the redemption to come in the, uh, in the true king of Israel and his work. But that isn't the only shadow in this passage. I want to zoom in closer. Turn to 2 Samuel 18, verse 6. So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of, David, and the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David, and the loss there was great on that day, 20,000 men. The battle spread over the face of all the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. And Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak, and he was suspended between heaven and earth, while the mule that was under him went on. And a certain man saw it and told Joab, Look, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Joab said to the man who who told him, You saw him? Why didn't you strike him there on the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, Even if I felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king demanded that you and Abishai and Ittai, for my sake, protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there's nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Joab said, I will not waste time like this with you. And he took three javelins in his hand. And he thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive on the oak. And ten young men, Job's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. Then Joab blew the trumpet. And the troops came back from pursuing Israel, for Joab restrained them. The king's son hangs on a tree. The king's son is pierced. The king's son's death brings peace to Israel. Correspondence. Absalom and Jesus hung from a tree, cursed. What's interesting about this passage is there's only two times in the Old Testament that uses the, the terms here. It says, uh, it says, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. 
Those same words are in Deuteronomy. And you know what they say? Anyone who hangs from a tree is cursed by God. But Absalom was cursed because of his own sins. Two specific sins. Absalom murdered in cold blood and Absalom laid with his father's wife. Both sins that yield the curse of God. So Absalom hanging in a tree is portraying to the people of Israel, this man is cursed. But Jesus, when he hung in his tree, was cursed because of your sins. Absalom and Jesus were both pierced. Absalom was pierced because of his own transgressions, but Jesus was pierced because of your transgressions. And the death of Absalom and the death of Jesus both secured peace for Israel. The death of Absalom secured momentary peace for some of God's people, but the death of Jesus secures forever peace for you and for all of God's people. Amen? So what's the point? Stack upon stack of foreshadowing of the work of Christ. What's the point? The king of kings sent his son to hang on a tree to bear the curse that you had earned. He was pierced for your transgressions. His death secured your peace with God forever if you trust Him. The true King of Israel stepped down from His throne. He wept as He bore your burdens. He was mocked by His people in your stead. He crossed over into death to make peace for His people. He defeated their enemies. He crushed the tyranny of sin and death forever. And he offers forgiveness to you and to any who would confess and repent. Any who come to him like Shimei are granted peace with God and a place in his kingdom forever. Read it again. Let's let's look back at 19 verse 16. And Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, from Birhim, hurried to come down with the men of Judah and to meet King David. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross Jordan. And he said to the king, Let not my lord hold me guilty, or remember how your servant did wrong. Do not let the king take it to heart. Your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I come this day, the first day of the house of the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord, the king. And the king said to Shimei, "You shall not die." And the king gave him his oath. How do you apply that? I called Brett this week. I said, basically it's the gospel. How do you apply the gospel? 
First, and this is not on a slide. It's not if you have cursed the king. You have cursed the king. But he has bought you with his blood. He bore the curse that you had inherited because of your sin. He made a way for you. And just like Shimei, all you need to do is approach him and say, I know, I know I've sinned. I know I, basically all I do is sin. But I celebrate my Lord the King. If you have not confessed your sin and placed your faith in the, the King who has bought you with his blood, do it now. Now. Don't wait. There's no thing to wait for. So that's the best way to apply this passage. <laughs> but if you are in Christ, here are some more ways. Reflect. Just reflect for a moment. Not only are the scriptures about Jesus... But every story is a shadow of Jesus. And these stories are true stories. Which means that human history culminates in the kingdom of Christ. You have the, the word of God and human history coming together to praise our coming king. What does that mean for you? I think it means we need to repent. Because if every story of Scripture revolves around Jesus, and if human history revolves around Jesus, then that means that your life and your time and your money and your words and your thought life and your retirement plan and your habits and your hobbies, and this is just a short list, should revolve around Jesus. Don't be abstract in your application of the centrality of Christ and his kingdom. There will be a day, I promise you, when you look back and you regret all of your wasted time. When you realize that this was all just leading up to the kingdom. So when you break out your credit card to pay for anything, ask yourself, Am I currently revolving? Am I anticipating? Am I preparing for the coming kingdom? You got 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 2 hours of free time? Free time? I don't think we have free time anymore. You're going to spend it on something before you click. Before you pick up the phone, before you hop in the car, ask yourself, is this decision revolving around Christ? Am I preparing for Christ's kingdom? Am I considering Christ? If human history was worth devoting to Christ, and if scripture, if all the words of God were worth devoting to Christ, your life too is worth devoting to Christ. It would be a good idea if in care group this week you guys teased out how to apply this aspect of the sermon. How do you Shift your life's focus to the coming kingdom. 
Also, I think we should respond. It's easy to become accustomed to the gospel, to start to think about the gospel as just a thing in your life that you believe, like, uh, like, like, like the solar system and the galaxies and like the ship floats and also Jesus is king. You must personalize it. It is personal. Not only did Jesus do all of these things for you, but God orchestrated thousands of years and hundreds of thousands of words so that you could understand exactly what Jesus has done for you. So rejoice. I know what it's like to sit here and say, yeah, that's true. That's right. Boy, if I could just clear five minutes in everyone's mind to reflect on this thing. That is, God stepped down. And he secured a way of peace for you and an inheritance that you can't even imagine. And it was so important for him that you know it. That he orchestrated all of human history and all of his words to carefully articulate what that means for you and how that should change the way you live and how that should make you prepare for his kingdom. Man, five minutes of reflection and you would be rejoicing. He won your peace. There's no more enmity for you if you're like me. This is a big one. Because when I pray, I'm afraid of him. Does anybody else get this? I'm like, (laughs) I know you see my sin and I'm so scared to sit here and talk to you about it. I know how you feel about sin. (laughs) Or ashamed standing before the holy God being you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. We can boldly approach the throne of grace because there's no condemnation. There's no more wrath for you if you're in Christ. It's been poured out on the cross. So when you think about your peace being won by Jesus, maybe one way that you can rejoice is to sit before him and enjoy (laughs) fearlessness perfect love casts out fear amen he won your forgiveness rejoice you limp probably if you're like me you limp because you remember what you've done 15 years ago Ten years ago, five years ago, 20 minutes ago. Your forgiveness is won. And it was won by our mighty king. You can't lose it. If you're in Christ, you can't lose it. Rejoice because he's won your kingdom. Life is hard right now. 
It's hard. For some of you, it's very, very hard. I know what you're going through right now. If you hear this and you think I'm talking to you, I probably am. Sometimes the beacon of hope that gets us through the darkest valleys is the shining light of the kingdom on the other side. Christ has secured that kingdom for you. And he is the kind of king who did this, gave himself up, secured your peace, your forgiveness, your king with his blood. Amen? So let's celebrate that death and our life in Christ at the table. This podcast is brought to you by Redeemer Church, a community of believers in Fort Worth, Texas, committed to equipping God's people to delight in God's glory and declare that glory to our neighbors and the nations. For more information, visit our website at RedeemerFortWorth.org.